Welcome to the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks with expert advice from Jim Lang, Pittsburgh-based CPA, attorney, and retirement and estate planning expert. Jim is also the author of Retire Secure, Pay Taxes Later. To find out more about his book, his practice, Lang Financial Group, and how to secure Jim as a speaker for your next event, visit his website at retiresecure.com. Now, get ready to talk smart money. Hello and welcome to the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. I'm your host, Nicole DiMartino, and of course, I'm here with Jim Lang, CPA and attorney and best-selling author of the first and second edition of Retire Secure, and now his new book, The Roth Revolution, Pay Taxes Once and Never Again, and it's now available on Amazon.com. Now, tonight... We actually have a surprise guest tonight. He's such a surprise. It was an, even a surprise to me when I came into the studio. Um, since yesterday was Election Day, Jim wanted to do a show on how taxpayers should respond to yesterday's election. But um, his goal is not to do a political show discussing politics, but rather a practical show on what listeners should be doing in terms of tax planning and estate planning. Um, in other words, what you should be doing in your response to the election. Um, so for our guest tonight, our surprise guest, Jim was lucky enough to find Dr. Jerry Schuster, who teaches political communications at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, Jerry earned his Ph.D. from the University of Pittsburgh, and he is regularly quoted by the media on various topics related to local, regional, and national polit- political issues and events. So, well, Jerry, are you there? Yes, I am. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks Thank for joining you. us. Thank you for the invitation to be on the show. Oh, Absolutely. And, and thanks for coming, Jerry. Jerry, right now, um, we are enjoying the last year of the Bush tax cuts. So actually, we are more or less at historic lows. And income tax rates in the big scheme of things are down, although it might not seem like that to to some of our listeners. And right now, there's no estate tax for taxpayers dying in the year 2010. If there is no new legislation passed, tax rates are scheduled to go up for both middle income and wealthy taxpayers in 2011. There's a scheduled additional health care surtax of 3.8% of investment income for 2013, which would mean the tax rate is going from 39 to 43.8%. Um, it, unless there is new legislation, the exemption, which is right now unlimited, it's going to go to a million dollars, which could be devastating for a lot of middle income and upper um, income clients. What impact do you think the election is going to have on this? And could you talk about some of the processes um, and some of the ways that that our listeners should be thinking about this? Well, for the immediate period, uh, you're dealing with when they return to session, and it'll be very brief at best, uh, you're dealing with a lame duck Congress. Typically, uh, members of Congress, especially those exiting uh, on a more permanent basis, will not do much of anything, especially um, in high-profile areas, two of which you have identified. So my perception would be that at this point in time, if they haven't dealt with those issues now, they're not likely to until the next session of Congress uh, shortly after the first of the year. Okay, can I interrupt you for one second? Because I actually had a client, as you as you can guess, he 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 was he's a Republican, and he is scared to death that the exiting Democrats are going to do all kinds of terrible things um, while they while they're still in power, and they are going to stick the next um, administration with a lot of burdens that that uh, that it's, it would not be welcome for him. Do you think that that is not? Is that not a legitimate fear? Well, I think that would be punitive on the part of those exiting Democrats, number one. And I think the leadership of, of the party would do everything in its power to prevent that from occurring. Because just as you heard today, uh, Representative Boehner and the President of the United States both indicated they want to work very hard to develop uh, a coalition of efforts so that they can... Uh, compromise on critical issues. Uh, this would uh, almost sound a death knell that for some time to come, that kind of compromise and working uh, jointly to try to achieve that goal would not occur because uh, it would be, you know, uh, 
as I indicated, that would be punitive, and and I can't imagine that occurring. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's not very likely. Okay, so you don't think that anything radical is going to happen between now? I, I think that both sides are going to work overtime, one, to get used to how they're going. It, it, it's a matter of uh, they're feeling each other out. It's like a football game. Uh, I, I hate to use that analogy, but it's a good one, though, I think, that at the beginning of the game, both teams try to determine how they're going to approach the rest of the game based on the strengths and weaknesses uh, of each team. And I think that's the way it's going to go, too. And I, I think that uh, neither the Republicans nor the Democrats would allow a few uh, malcontents uh, to do that and I'm, because it just wouldn't favor either party to allow that to occur. Moreover, uh, the president has the option of vetoing such legislation and whatever he feels I, uh, about either of the two areas that you've identified, I think he probably would much prefer that to come under uh, a new Congress. Okay, so 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 you're saying that he should not worry about the lame duck session. Well, I, you know, it, it's again, I, I put no, the no guarantee that it's Fair possible enough. to occur, but not very likely. Okay, I'm I'm sorry, I, I interrupted. No, that's all right. All right, so so let's assume for discussion's sake that you're right, and at least with regards to estate taxes and income taxes, that nothing happens between now and the next session, and. Um, Right now, if if there is no compromise, let's just say for discussion's sake that uh, despite all the posturing that we're going to work together, that, that the Republicans ask for something that, that uh, President Obama isn't willing to do and no, no compromise is made and nothing happens, then taxes go up and the estate taxes go up dramatically. Can you give us some feel of what you think might happen? I know that that's asking... Uh, well, you look into a crystal ball, but maybe if you can give it your best yeah. shot. First of all, I think the president is going to be much more willing to take more time to evaluate those uh, proposals, no matter what level uh, the proposals would impact. In other words, they won't limit it and throw in a disclaimer that, that suggests we're going to go for middle class and lower income levels of uh, in, in terms of how this would impact the nation. I think it's going to be much more open that the upper-level income earners would achieve uh, the same benefits or would accrue the same benefits because that opens the door to even greater compromise for other issues which are far more important, uh, at least in the uh, overall picture of the economy. So in order to generate one thing, they're going to have to give on others. And that probably is a key area. And he's pretty much, the president has pretty much suggested he's open for, I think, using his words, open for consideration. All right. Now, now, now first of all, you said that there's going to be other things that are going to be more important in terms of getting the economy going. And I'm certainly not going to um, give you a hard time with that, except that if I'm one of the listeners, I'm... And particularly, let's say you, you, let's assume for discussion's sake that you have a job and you have some money. Yes, I'm interested in what's going to happen with the economy, but I'm also very interested in what is going to happen to my tax rates. Um, so how, how, and the other thing is you seemed to indicate, and then you kind of mentioned this to me briefly on the phone today, that you thought that there might possibly not only be a continuation of the low rates we have, but possibly even lower rates, um, that that at least is on the table, which, frankly, I have not seen before. Can well, you I, th I think the presence and, and the leadership of both parties uh, are all going to allow much more to be on the table than has been on in the past. It's not going to be one of those situations where we're only going to consider this because then it frustrates the, the possibility of compromise. I think all good ideas have to be perceived as available, and I don't think it's going to be dismissed out of hand as it might have been, let's say, a year ago this time. So uh, more positive uh, action on the part of uh, tax decreases or, uh, you know, 
and areas that are more beneficial to small business, I think are going to be much more um, openly uh, evaluated and consistently reacted to by uh, experts. You know, they're going to seek that kind of information and, and not, uh, again, not just unilaterally knocked out of possibilities for uh, uh, in, including in the new uh, legislation by the new Congress. Well, can I ask you this? You know, I know that a number of the people who are going to be um, new members of the House are, are, are members of the Tea Party and obviously not necessarily um, experienced in, in hard, hard-nosed negotiation and compromise. Is it possible that, that we're going to have a, um, a Congress and a Senate and a president that, that can't compromise on things and that well, it's just time not going to happen? that from time to time that will will be a real possibility because as someone said you know you have to be sometimes um, concerned that what you wish for you may very well get and now that there is a, a clear and definite majority uh, it's a majority in numbers but not necessarily by philosophy so some Tea Party uh, members in order to serve their constituency because of, they owe that constituency their election um, may be much, much more conservative and not give it a thought process. But that's something the Republicans are going to have to deal with. That's not something that the Democrats uh, can, you know, uh, can change. But one thing that can change is a bigger, better coalition between more moderate Republicans and the Democrats, which could then be the new coalition and if they mean what they say they're uh, what they're talking or the way they're talking right now if you build a coalition between the two parties and there still be there will still be splinter groups with different philosophies but the majority will be the coalition of the republicans and democrats not just the republicans themselves so that could work out to be the best scenario possible because now you're getting all of the philosophies together and it's not going to be restrictive. Well, I I uh, I hope you're right, but I, I I guess I have a hard time seeing you know somebody who was elected on a platform of eliminating Social Security, eliminating the Federal Reserve. Um, but not all members, uh, not all Republicans, um, have that uh, conservative, strong conservative view. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they are many of them are more moderate in that regard and might be more prone to uh, deal with a coalition from the Democratic Party, realizing that what has just happened could happen to them again. Remember, we have a presidential election in just two years, so the posturing for uh, the presidency as well as, uh, remember, those persons just elected yesterday, are already starting to campaign today for, you know, 2012. So they, they know that what happened to the Democrats can't be repeated. And history shows us, under the Reagan administration, under the Clinton administration, and frankly, even under the Bush administration, where there, there, there was so much more compromising occurring, uh, despite the, the gang that came in in 94. Uh, at once they saw life in its uh, in the real light in Congress, they decided to mellow a little bit, and they were less obstructionist, uh, and a lot was accomplished. Well, you, you seem to be a little bit more optimistic than other people I've talked to in terms of reasonable compromises um, actually taking place, because I guess one of my concerns is if no compromise takes place, that you're going to have these massive tax increases that are really going to affect a lot of people. Well, first of all, if no compromise occurs and a stalemate results, then they have just uh, shot themselves in the foot on both sides of the aisle. And they have, they've already seen the damage that has occurred from there. Both parties now have to do damage control. And I think that the Democrats, realizing how much they've lost in terms of power, and Republicans recognizing 
that just because there is an R in front of the name by no means suggests that they're of the same philosophy. Learn that the, the compromise is critical, and however that compromise comes about is, is tantamount to their ticket to re-election. All right, well, let's, let's be a little bit more specific for the moment. Um, President Obama has, and for a while, has stated that his position, and maybe that will be changing, is that he would be willing to um, keep the Bush tax cuts on the income tax level for taxpayers whose income is below $250,000, but he wanted people who had $250,000 or more to have a tax increase. No, but that's where he just... He has just recently noted that he's open for reconsideration that that would be dramatically uh, in, increased. Uh, in other words, the the uh, the line that's drawn for the tax cuts would now be appreciably higher. He's open to reviewing that. All right. Well, let, let's 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 take the extreme. Let's say that he says, "Okay, hey, we'll keep all the tax cuts, even if you make a million dollars." We're still going to go by the uh, the rules that were in effect in 2010 before the sunset occurred. Um, do you actually think that there might be a possibility of a tax decrease over and above what the the, the current rates are? I I'm not a uh, you know, uh, and I'm thinking optimist. That's not the way I approach it. Let's put it this way: given what occurred yesterday. I think everything's on the table. And I think the president understands better than anyone, as does the leadership of the Democratic Party, that certain things have to occur uh, in order to put the party back in leadership position. And so I think uh, that said, I, would, I am not uh, pessimistic about the possibility of uh, a much more conservative approach and some of the ideas of the Republicans uh, that were thwarted um, over the past two years now become much more prominently considered and perhaps even uh, incorporated in uh, new legislation. All right, gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll, we'll join this conversation, and I, I will continue this conversation. I want to remind our listeners out there that we are live tonight, so if you have any thoughts and you want to chime in, you can give us a call, 412 333 9385. Again, that's 412 333 9385. We'll be right back in a minute with Dr. Jerry Schuster and Jim Lang on the Lang Money Hour. The Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, featuring the expert advice of Pittsburgh based CPA attorney Jim Lang. More coming up on KQV AM 1410. The Lang Money Hour continues on KQV AM 1410. For all of your financial needs, turn to Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill, 412-521-2732. Let's talk more smart money. Hello there and welcome back to the Lang Money Hour. This is Nicole DiMartino and I'm here with Jim Lang and Dr. Jerry Schuster who teaches political communications at the University of Pittsburgh. They're talking about yesterday's election and the impact it's going to have on the taxpayers. And uh, Jerry, I, we, we talked a little bit about changes in the income taxes. But I also want to talk about changes in the estate tax because if you remember for years the federal exemption amount, meaning the amount that you were allowed to die with without having to pay any taxes, was $600,000. And then it inched its way up to a million dollars. And then in 2009 it was up to $3.5 million. In 2010, George Steinbrenner died with a $1.5 billion interest in the New York Yankees, left it to his kids, and didn't have to pay a nickel in estate tax. In 2011, unless something is done, the exemption amount is going to go back to a million, which probably saved him roughly $500 million between dying last year or dying, or dying this year or dying next year if there, if there isn't a change. I mean, obviously, this wild, unpredictable pattern makes life pretty hard for somebody to plan. Do you think yesterday's election has some impact, um, and are, do people have any more definition in terms of what is likely to happen with the estate tax, both in the short term and in the long run? Well, in the short term, I, 
I'm not in a position to evaluate whether that's on the congressional agenda, you know, between now and the end of the year or the end of their session. Uh, but I will say that uh, there has been much discussion among members of Congress that it needs addressed, and that's the, that's again one of those areas where there will be compromise because you just uh, identified, you know, even average people can build up a very healthy, uh, re, you know, uh, heritage, and for someone to take that heritage and and give such a large chunk of it to the federal government is distasteful no matter which side of the aisle you're on. So it's not just a program that uh, supports the wealthy. Uh, Many persons need that kind of uh, concern. And and here again, that's the trickle-down effect that I think is going to happen from uh, much more compromising and openness. And that's going to be seen very quickly with the new Congress. It is either going to happen or it's not going to... and happen early, or it's not going to happen at all. And that could be one of the uh, benefits, or it could be one of the, you know, areas that's negatively impacted. I'm betting that that's an area that's going to be a real benefit, because the the Democrats have to look at what the hot-button issues are for the conservative Republicans. And if they want anything from the um, Republican Party with regard to health care and other kinds of issues, then they have to be able to give and give in an area that is much more beneficial to the vast majority of the constituents. That, I think, is what they found out from the uh, vote yesterday, and that was too few people were actually feeling direct impact from what has taken place so far, and the fear uh, of things like this, uh, like the estate tax and other key areas not being addressed and dying for lack of inaction is, uh, now there's a Freudian slip, huh? dying. <laughs> <laughs> but in any event, I, I see this as not a dead issue by any means. All right, well, I know in 2009, if you had asked me, hey, Jim, is there any chance that in 2010, there's not going to be any estate tax, and George Steinbrenner can die with $1.5 billion interest in the Yankees and not have to pay any tax. I used to tell people, and every, every attorney, every state attorney, and every IRA expert I knew said, oh, no, they certainly have to do something because it would be totally unreasonable to have an unlimited no estate tax in 2010 and then have only a $1 million exemption in 2011. So we all went around thinking, oh, no, certainly, I I mean, I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on, that just isn't reasonable to have the accident of of the year of your death pay pay such an enormous difference in in taxes to the government. Well, there are some pundits who would take that thought process, Jim, and say that, you know, the way to avoid any action or any um, penalty... Uh, for taking action on this is to just let it die. And, um, you know, it, it, once it goes out of effect uh, and the old rule comes back into effect, then, you know, no one can blame anyone. But once that starts to occur, there will be such a clamor for a return to sanity in that area that, again, it goes back on the table. And that what I've understood is the very real possibility that it would be retroactive to, you know, the end of uh, 2010. Well, so I, I don't know that, that that's going to be the case, but that's been the rumor. Well, in fact, interestingly that you bring that issue up, the retroactive issue, because in early 2010, I was, I told people, hey, I don't even know what the law is today, because just because there is no federal estate tax at the moment, that doesn't mean that later on in the year they can't retroactively have an estate tax because they have done something like that in the past. So I guess another possibility is nothing happens in the lame duck session, which is what you said earlier. Is that right? 
Correct. And, and, and so you don't think that they would do anything about this in the lame duck session, do it's you? It's possible that they would do that, because it, it, uh, but here again, you, you still have the Mavericks still uh, that are uh, currently in session, and there might be some anger left over, and, and people would, some of the exiting members would simply say, I'm not going to do this. You know, so I think it's, there are, my recommendation would be, if I were talking to a member of Congress, let it go into the new session and then work for retroactivity, because then you're looking at people who know that they need to compromise, and if they don't compromise, just like other issues, then it becomes a stalemate, and, you know, the blood is on the floor for the 2012 election, and nobody wants tainted with that again. Right, and and that then creates, I mean, if if we, if let's say it's January or February 2011, and the exemption is still a million dollars, and you're planning your estate, that has to be a little bit nerve wracking for somebody. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. You know, to to realize, oh my goodness, if I if I die tomorrow, and let's simplify, and let's assume that there isn't a spouse involved. And I, oh, excuse me. All right. Now, the reason I said that is because I just wanted to avoid the complication of the unlimited marital deduction. But if I die with a million dollars, and like Yoga, like Yogi Berra says, a million dollars isn't worth a million dollars anymore, right. um, then there could be a big tax. Um, I, and I know that you're going to have to leave in a few minutes, and I'm going to talk. I, I'm gonna, I w- I just let me add. Uh, yeah, you know, from a politi- politically reality focus, a political reality focus, you have to understand that yesterday's election, if nothing else, was an election about the state of the nation. I don't know how much more of a sledgehammer would be needed to let the politicians understand that certain uh, that people in the nation have not been this angry in a long, long time, and what they're looking for is action, not partisan uh, fighting. And that said, I think the possibility for greater opportunities to help both sides and help all levels of income earners is far greater today than it's ever been in recent history. And I think that they've seen that people can get mad, and like the, like the line from Network, you know, they're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore. And they've shown that. They did it yesterday. Well, Jerry, you, ha- you have given our, our listeners some, some very good insights, and frankly, you have given me personally some some good ideas and going into the future a little bit more optimistically than I was a half hour ago. I know when we talked earlier that you said you had a prior um, commitment and I want to respect that, but I want to thank you very much for being on our show. Um, Jerry Schuster, um, PhD. uh, Well, thank you very much. It's been a a great experience and I would be very happy to do it again. All right. Well, thank you again. All right, well, what, what I'd like to do now is um, try to, um, let's say, interpret into action what some of the things that Jerry has said. And let's say I am in your position, that is, I am a listener, and let's assume for discussion's sake that um, I am trying to work hard, or maybe I'm retired, I've built up some retirement assets, and... You know the election happened. The election happened, and there is some uncertainty. Certainly, Jerry was optimistic that there could possibly be some tax decreases. By the way, which is the first time I have heard that from anybody. I thought that the 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 best we could do was going back was was maintaining the current taxation level. Um, but what I would like to do is to talk about what can be done both in terms of income taxes and estate taxes in um, what I think we would all agree is still a relatively uncertain area. And what I'd like to do is start with the income taxes. Um, now, the when I, when I wrote The Roth Revolution and we were looking at um, the potential increases in taxes, I analyze what the impact of increased taxes would be for taxpayers and came to the conclusion that Roth IRAs would be tremendously beneficial if there was a inc- tax increase in 2011. So one of the strategies that, that I 
that I talked about was, well, it might be very good to do a Roth IRA conversion in 2010. And I cited five new tax laws. Um, one, which is very powerful for employ- employees that have 401k or 403b plans, you guys are now allowed to make a Roth IRA conversion into a for into from your traditional 401k to your Roth 401k. Or if you are working for a university or hospital, you're now allowed to make a Roth IRA conversion from your traditional 403b to a Roth 403b, assuming your institution offers a Roth 401k or a Roth 403b plan. The second thing is I did cite um, tax increases that are scheduled to go up. And the other thing that we um, can't ignore is that in addition to traditional income tax rates, at least scheduled to be going up, in 2013, we have the health care surtax, which is an extra 3.8% on investment income. So we have that. Now, of course, this is the first year that IRA owners, or anyone for that matter, um, with incomes of more than $100,000 can make a Roth IRA conversion. And finally, and this really comes to the heart of the matter, there is a law that right now that says if you make a Roth IRA conversion in 2010, you could recognize half the income in 2011 and half the income in 2012. So let's say, for example, you had $100,000 in a uh, traditional IRA and you made a Roth IRA conversion in 2010. Under the existing law, you have a choice between recognizing that income in 2011 or recognizing half in 2011 and half in 2012. Now, the analysis that I did earlier said, hey, if tax rates are going to go up, rather than doing what seems natural, which is to pay the taxes later and defer the taxes, I said, if taxes are going up, you're probably better off recognizing that income in 2010. Well, if you, if you listen to Jerry, it sounds like there is some hope of no tax increases and possibly a tax decrease. And that would indicate it might be more prudent to recognize half the income in 2011 and half in 2012. Um, one of the good, th- one of the takeaways that I'm getting from all this is that we are living in extremely uncertain times. And I only want to, and, and if possible, I want to plan in such a way that no matter what happens, um, you're still going to come out the best. Now, in the Roth IRA conversion area, um, what I would say is since you don't have to really make that decision of whether you're going to recognize the income in 2010 or whether you're going to recognize half in 2011 or half in 2012, if you get an extension on your 2010 tax return, you don't have to decide that issue till October 2011. And remember, you can always recharacterize or undo a Roth IRA conversion. So that is a very powerful strategy. By the, by the way, this, you know, th- I, I know you've heard a lot about Roth IRA conversions, and I, and I think next year I'll lay off a little bit because you've heard a lot about it. But I actually think that since this is the first year, and because of the ability to, to defer, and because we have all these new tax laws that are favorable for Roth IRA conversions, that people really need to take this seriously. And, and again, we have, we have one more session that, that Nicole mentioned for the rest of the year. And um, I, I, right now, I'll tell you what we are doing with, with our existing clients. We are sending every one of our existing clients, whether they be an estate client, whether they be an assets under management client, or whether they be an income tax preparation client, we are sending them a book. And, and I know many, many clients are listening. So um, we, we are sending a, we're sending a book to everybody. And what we did is we went through our entire client list, and we tried to figure out which portions of the book and which strategies might be the most appropriate. We actually developed note cards, and according to our knowledge, and then we actually had to go through the files again to reacquaint ourselves with a lot of people, we actually put in additional note cards. But frankly, it is a strong call to action for a lot of people to do Roth IRA conversions. Um, with, let's say, the uncertainty in the political arena about what's going to happen with income taxes, I think doing Roth IRA conversions are even more appropriate. Alrighty, Jim, let's take a quick break. 
When we come back, do you want to talk about the estate planning? All right, we'll talk about estate planning. And actually, when we come back, I'm going to tell you about a special offer we have for our listeners tonight. So stay tuned for that. You're listening to the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. The Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, featuring the expert advice of Pittsburgh-based CPA attorney Jim Lang. More coming up on KQVAM 1410. The Lang Money Hour continues on KQVAM 1410. For all of your financial needs, turn to Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill, 412-521-2732. Let's talk more smart money. Welcome back to the Lang Money Hour. I am Nicole DiMartino, and I'm here with Jim Lang. We talked about the income tax. Let's let's talk about the estate tax issue um, for the remainder of the show. And we, we talked, and, and Dr. Schuster talked about the uncertainty and you know, that's, that's a little nerve-wracking for people. And if, if everything is uncertain, how should you plan? I mean, what is the best course of action at this point? Well, let's, let's first take what, what Dr. Schuster said. He said that he didn't think originally that there was going to be major tax legislation in the lame duck session. Mm-hmm. He, then he said, well, maybe because people, it's an important issue. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if anything is going to happen before the end of the year or not. But it sounds like it's very possible that we could go into the beginning of next year with no additional legislation, in which case that means that if you die with more than a million dollars in your state, and by the way, your state does include your house, so if you have a house worth a couple hundred thousand dollars, it's not all that hard to get to a million dollars. If you die with more than a million dollars, that you'll be subject to federal estate tax at a pretty nasty level. So that has to be considered one possibility. Another possibility is um, that that does occur, and then at some point during the year, in 2011, there will be a retroactive change to the estate tax. Now, if that happens, by the way, some people who will, some people are going to challenge that, and the constitutionality of a retroactive tax might be questioned. Now, there, there have been times in the past when there have been retroactive tax increases. This, in effect, would be a tax decrease. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but we would certainly have uncertainty. Then, let's, let's be realistic and recognize that even within the existing administration, there has been a $3.5 million exemption. There has been an unlimited exemption, and it sounds like we might end up having a $1 million exemption, at least for a while, as a clear possibility. And this is all within one administration and just one period, and actually not much more than two years. Is that fantastically relevant to our listeners? And I would say yes, but I would say what is more relevant is not what the estate tax exemption is or whatever they come up with January or February or even towards the end of next year. What's really relevant is what is the estate tax exemption going to be in the year of this, if you are married in the second death. That is, um, is if, if you have, let's say you're married and you have $3 million together and you leave everything to your spouse at the first death and then at the second death there's still $3 million around, the exemption amount at that point becomes very critical because if it's $3 million, then, you're, then your family's off the hook for taxes. If it's a million, then they're going to have to, in effect, pay a state tax on $2 million. So um, there is both short-term and long-term uncertainty, and I think it would be really irresponsible for me to say, here's what I think is going to happen, because when I even hinted that in 2009, I would have never guessed that there would have been no estate tax in 2010. So I think the best area, Nicole, to think about estate taxes is that we just don't know what is going to happen. Right. All right. So now the question is, well, let's assume that you have the standard wills. And Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd like to talk for a minute about what the standard wills are and what they say. And let me tell you what the problem is, and let me tell you the extreme problem that you have with uncertainty. And then eventually we're going to get to the the solution to the problem. All right, so let's say that you have seen an attorney Mm -hmm. and that that your estate is, is, or at least at one point, um, was more than $600,000, and you have the standard what are called A-B wills. 
All right, and here's what the standard AB will says. It says, if you die, you take the, what is called the, ex the exemption equivalent amount. And that amount, rather than going to your spouse, goes into a trust. The terms of these trusts is pretty standard, although there's a few variations. But it's basically, your spouse gets the income from the trust. Your spouse gets the right to invade principal for health maintenance and support. And at the second death, that is after both spouses are gone, the money in that trust goes to the children equally. And the whole point of this trust is to have the money that's in the trust not be in the estate of the second to die. So let's say for discussion's sake that we go back to what the 2009 rate was, was, was uh, $3.5 million. And let's say you had a $7 million estate and you died. Basically, what the, the, the language of that trust said was $3.5 million went to the trust. The other $3.5 million went to the surviving spouse outright. Let's forget about growth. At the second death, the trust wasn't in the second estate. The amount that was went to the spouse was, but there's a $3.5 million exemption. There's no estate tax. And by implementing that trust, we saved the family over a million dollars. And that's all well and good. But let's say that you're saying, gee, Jim, I don't have a $7 million estate. I have a whole lot less. What would happen if I died with that type of language? Well, the language doesn't say $3.5 million into a trust, and it doesn't say a million into the trust. In fact, the literally, the language is so difficult that no one really knows what it means except if you're, if you're you know, in this field. And what it really means is, and it's, and it's kind of uh, legalistic language, the maximum amount after taking into account the unlimited marital deduction, blah, blah, blah. What they really mean is you take the exemption amount. So again, in 2009, it was it was 3.5 million. In 2010, by the way, it's unlimited, meaning that according to many attorneys, the way they read that is that all of the money would not go to the surviving spouse, would but would go to the trust. Now, if you're the surviving spouse, are you happy with that situation? where instead of you, you inheriting money, all that money's going to a trust. And let's say it's even worse. Let's say you don't have a 7 or even $3.5 million estate. Let's say you have a million or $2 million or even less than a million dollar estate. If, if you have that type of standard will, then what's going to happen is all the money goes to the trust, and that leaves how much for the surviving spouse, Nicole? Nothing. Do you think that that spouse is going to be happy no, with that? No, I don't that? think. No, all right. I don't think that that's going to cut it. I call that the cruelest trap of all, and that is almost inevitably going to happen um, to a lot of people. Now, right now, the exemption amount is a million dollars. Well, or or will revert to a million dollars unless something happens between now and 2011. If that happens, we might actually need that trust to save estate taxes because then a lot more people are going to potentially be subject to estate tax. So on the one hand, you have the, you have the value of not wanting to um, underprovide for the surviving spouse. On the other hand, you don't want to pay estate taxes. Then there's some other options and possibilities. Sometimes what might, you might want to do after the first death, is to leave a portion, uh, maybe $100,000 each, for example, to each child at the first death. So let's say that you have a $2 million estate or, or even a smaller estate, and you don't want the kids to have to wait until they're 60 before they enjoy any inheritance, which might be their age at the second death. You might, have a, you might want a certain amount of money to go to each child at the first death. Another possibility... Let's say that you have some grandchildren and you are interested in helping them out, perhaps with their education, perhaps with uh, just some money, some spending money, perhaps money in a down payment for a home or money even in a trust for their benefit. And if that money is IRA or Roth IRAs, um, I go to great lengths to talk about the enormous benefits of the stretch IRA and the stretch Roth IRA if you name grandchildren as beneficiaries. So it might be 
possible that you might want to name some grandchildren as beneficiaries. So now we have, let's say, four plausible options or choices for estate planning. One, we have the surviving spouse themselves. And by the way, before I move on, I'm going to tell you I've been doing this in this estate planning. Um, I've, I've been in, in business for 30 years now um, as a CPA, 25 as, as an attorney. And what I have found almost universally for what I would call the Leave it to Beaver family, the Leave it to Beaver family being original husband, original wife, and the same kids. In other words, not kids from his marriage, kids from her marriage, but kids from our marriage. People like that, I have found universally say, Jim, the most important thing is to provide for my spouse after I am gone. That's the most important thing. And I hear that more than taxes. I hear that more than kids, more than children, more than anything else. The most important thing is to take care of my spouse. But with these traditional wills or traditional trusts, we aren't doing that. We are first funding this trust, the purpose of which is to save estate tax at the second death, which might end up being not just not helpful, but it might actually be extremely restrictive to the surviving spouse. And it happens all the time. So we have these four options. And one, again, which I'm going to say is my favorite option, which is the surviving spouse. Now, please understand that is not the option in most of the standard AB will type estate plans, where the first option is the trust. And again, whether you call that trust the unified credit trust, the exemption equivalent trust, um, the uniform um, the uniform credit shelter trust, the exemption trust, it's, it's basically the same thing that gives income to spouse, right to invade principal for health, maintenance, and support, and at the second death, it goes to the kids. That's not what I want as the primary beneficiary. I want the surviving spouse as the primary beneficiary. However, I still want that trust as an option, and particularly if the exemption amount is going to be a million dollars, I'm very interested in having that as an option because at the same time, while the primary goal is to um, protect the surviving spouse, we don't want to be stupid about estate taxes. And if we can figure out a way to provide for the surviving spouse and avoid estate taxes, I think that that would be a preferable goal. Um, Again, with children, um, most people, I think, would want some money going to a child, but only if there was more than enough for the surviving spouse. We didn't talk about it with Jerry, but um, what about investment alternatives? Um, Nicole, do you see certain investments in the future, or do you think that there's going to be a lot of fluctuation and a lot of volatility? A lot of volatility. A lot of volatility. So basically then, if let's, let's say um, whether it's your parents or or, or, or my mom, or many of the listeners out there, mm-hmm. we don't know how much we're going to have when we die. No. The other thing is, we don't know who's going to die first. If you're a married couple, if you have, um, for example, and, I, and I, will, I will freely tell you this, I've been in, in business for 30 years, and we've done a lot of projections, and just about every projection we ever did was wrong. Um, <laughs> and by that, I mean... Some assumption that we made or some something that we thought was going to happen didn't happen. I'll give you a couple examples. We always thought that he was the one that was going to die first, and it turns out she died first. So planning had to be changed. Um, in the last 10 years, uh, frankly, I thought people were going to die with bigger portfolios. But the market's you know, pretty much been the crapper for the last 10 years, and people are not dying with as big portfolios. Mm-hmm. Another thing is, you know, sometimes long-term care is a crapshoot. We don't know mm-hmm. if if people are going to be wiped out with long-term care. And even the fear of long-term care, I think, want makes people want to have total control of their assets. So how do you, let's say, combine all these issues where we have more or less four good choices? We have the surviving spouse as the first choice or one choice. We have the B-trust Again, income to spouse, right to invade principal for health, maintenance, support for the second choice. The third choice, 
we have is let's say children equally and the fourth choice we have is is well-drafted trust for grandchildren and by the way um, no sex drugs and rock and roll for the grandchildren <laughs> of, of my clients that money is for education health maintenance and support down payment for a home seed money for a business <laughs> sorry guys <laughs> all right so let's say, let's assume that those are the four choices and let's also assume that we have this leave it to beaver marriage um, although um, Mrs. Beaver, uh, what's her name? June. June, Cle- or Barbara. June, June Cleaver, who was Barbara, who's Barbara Billingsworth. Billings, yeah. yeah, she just died. I know. I um, know. So I, I might have to use a different example, but people, <laughs> but people understand the idea of the traditional family Pete, unit. Right. Let's assume that you have one of those traditional family units, and that basically the um, your kids are the same as your spouse's kids, and your grandchildren are the same as your spouse's grandchildren. And let's assume that you've been married for a long time. And let's also assume that you trust your spouse, which is a big assumption, but let's assume that it is. What I would recommend in that situation, and particularly in light of all this uncertainty, is that you draft your wills and trusts and estate plans in such a way to give the surviving spouse all four of the options that I mentioned, and you let them pick which options or combinations of options are appropriate not now but you do it after the time of the first death we call that disclaimer wills it is all over the literature it has been quoted in jane brian quinn um kiplinger's wall street journal i did an article for financial planning magazine um again it was also in the book retire secure endorsed by charles schwab jane brian quinn ed slot and the whole slew of other um, about 60 other experts. It's a really powerful, flexible estate plan that I think people should do, and particularly right now in today's uncertain times. With that, we're going to say good night. You've been listening to the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. Thanks for listening to the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. Portions of the audio that you just heard will be posted online at retiresecure.com. You can also find a list of upcoming events and topics at RetireSecure.com. To seek Jim's advice personally or to speak to a member of his dedicated staff at Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill, call 412-521-2732. Join us again in two weeks when we talk more smart money.